everyone, and welcome to another Daily Objective. Today it's Freedom Friday. Today I'm solo. Therefore, we we're going to have one of these episodes, which are something like a historical overview, but always with some lessons to be learned about today. So when we talk about freedom, one of the personalities that have attracted many people in what we could loosely call the freedom movement is Ron Paul. So today we're going to have a look in his presidential campaigns of 2008 and 2012, the so-called Ron Paul revolution. And the aim is not so much to evaluate Ron Paul from an objectivist point of view. This has been done and you can draw your own conclusions. What I'm mostly interested in is, can a political campaign be a revolution? A revolution in terms of, for example, in terms of changing the culture or changing significantly parts of the culture so that even if that political campaign fails, then in the future something bigger can, can come out of it. And to be honest, what I'm mostly interested in is, for example, could there be the objectivist equivalent of a Ron Paul presidential campaign? Now, different people view it in different ways. For example, I've heard Yaron many times mentioning that uh, that would be probably fruitless at this point. But again, I'm not going to give the any objectivist line or whatever. That's whatever I'm going to say is my opinion. It's just that it's a very interesting topic and I think it should be discussed. So, Ron Paul, member of Congress for ages. He was known as the Mr. No because he would not vote for any legislation that would uh, increase taxation or increase the power of the government. He had run in the past with the Libertarian Party and 2008 and 2012, he ran in the primaries of the Republican Party and he made a lot of noise. And for most Libertarians, that period 2008-2012 is a bit in their mind, it's the equivalent of what 1968 has been for the leftists, which was this period of a lot of action, this period of, let's say, the glory days, the big days. And when I was a leftist, one of my favorite uh, discussions or the, the favorite things to, you know, to spend nights discussing with other leftists was what constitutes a revolution. So, for example, did the revolt in Paris in 1968, was it a revolution? And most people would say, yeah, it came close. I would say no. So my opinion is that the, either it was not a revolution, the Ron Paul revolution, or it was a revolution that failed. But I will explain what I mean by that. So first of all, uh, what made Ron Paul, let's say, special? And I will start with the positive stuff, and then I will go to the, to the negative stuff. So what made his campaign so significant and it was significant for one reason it was one of the first times that you had an outsider that created such a mobilization and a mobilization not of the party mechanism because ron paul was completely outside of the party mechanism but a grassroots mobilization and as i think i've mentioned in the past the ron paul campaigns of 2008 and 2012 were very important because they have shown that there is space on the 
margins of the Republican Party for an outsider. So what was the big question after 2012? Who is going to be the next Ron Paul? And people thought it might be his son, Ron Paul. Others thought it could be Ted Cruz. At the end of the day, it was Trump and no one expected it. And it was uh, it was uh, it was a capitalization up to a point of the momentum for an outsider. So what what does this mean? Whether you like or not Ron Paul, it was a significant phenomenon. We need to understand it. So Ron Paul was had integrity, which was something that his people agreed, at least integrity as it is understood in in the way most people understand it. So he had some principles, he stuck with these principles. Now, in a world around 2008, where in a world of career politicians, of people like John McCain or of people like uh, of people like George Bush. So in the intellectual, in the ideological, let's say, domination of the neocons or the non-ideological domination of the neocons, someone with principles is something which is inspiring for people. So first lesson maybe to be learned here is if you have, if you run an ideological campaign, it can work. Now, the advantage that Ron Paul had, which, for example, an objectivist candidate would not have, is that he's he's following an intern in a tradition that has some roots in American conservative. So for, uh, for Brian Doherty, it's the Jacksonian tradition, but also we could see Ron Paul being part of the so-called tradition of the old right or paleoconservatism. What does this mean? For example, an isolationist foreign policy and also a, this idea of decentralization. So, for example, that the central government should have as few, uh, as little power as possible. So there was something, there was a tradition where Ron Paul could stand, uh, could stand up. So you could say also he follows the steps of the old right. For example, people like Barry Goldwater. So these parts of the right, H.L. Mencken, for example, which was against the New Deal and which was against big government. Now, if an objectivist would run, we could say, yes, there is also part of this thing. So we wouldn't agree on foreign policy. We'd agree, maybe superficial, some people would think that we'd agree on the so-called isolationist position, but we would definitely find some people who have paved the ground in terms of the right that was against the New Deal and for capitalism, which was, again, probably the, the last big proponent in terms of a presidential election was Barry Goldwater. So this is, this is where Paul comes from. And also, and also this skepticism of the conservative establishment, there was also this ground paved by Pat Buchanan. I think I mentioned in the previous show his famous 1992 speech on the culture wars. Now, Ron Paul was not a culture warrior, but he personified this disdain for, in many people, for the Republican establishment. Now, the big question is, is there such a thing today as the Republican establishment? Because I can't see what the Republican establishment would see. The hurricane that has been Donald Trump uh, hurricane, not uh, in, in in a literal way. He has demolished 
what we could call is the, 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 the establishment of the Conservative Party. So basically we have Trump, but the, the what they used to call deep state or the deep party, I'm not sure if it's there. So today it wouldn't be so much a campaign against the establishment of the Republican Party. It would be mostly a campaign to go away from the non-ideological uh, incoherent mess that is Trump and that is Trumpism. But anyway, so what was the interesting, what was another thing which was in favor of Ron Paul? The momentum, the timing. So Ron Paul was talking for a long time about, uh, about the bubbles that a strong Federal Reserve can, uh, a strong Fed can create. And his first candidacy was around 2008, around the housing bubble. So Ron Paul has been uh, a, a student, let's say, of the Austrian School of Economics. So his message hit the spot on the right time, around 2008. So it's one thing for someone to be a strong proponent of ideas, but when is the real good timing that your ideas seem to be giving an answer to a significant problem? This can boost you and this can give wind to your sales. Now, again, I could think, for example, that in a world where is, to quote, uh, to paraphrase actually, Rourke, uh, perishing in an orgy of collectivism and self-sacrifice, as we see, for example, in the last uh, couple of, uh, in the last years, then again, maybe our message would be very timely. So it's not only important to be radical and have strong ideas, also you need to find the right timing to put these ideas forward. Now, what was the Ron Paul campaign based on? It was based, as I said, on grassroots mobilizations. So we had a lot of meetups. So his fans uh, mobilized in, in the internet. Back then, it wasn't such a big thing. So specific 2008, social media were not such a big thing. So it was mostly uh, meetups, forums, and grassroots, clever grassroots mobilization. And this grassroots enthusiasm is what made his campaign special, specifically if his opponents were people who would put you to sleep within five minutes, like the McCain's or the or the Mitts or the Mitron. So this idea that you, you have young people who were not so excited about politics, you make them excited about politics with your message, this is something which is important. And we saw, for example, that Ron Paul would win uh, straw polls after debates and all that stuff. Now, what do you need to put you really on the center? You need the one big moment. And for his fans, the big moment was a so-called the Giuliani moment. And it's when in one of the debates for, again, for the nomination of the Republican Party, Ron Paul put forward his blowback theory, which is the theory that I find most reprehensible, most wrong, actually morally wrong, not only strategically wrong, but for reasons that I will explain, had a huge appeal. Now, what was this Giuliani moment? So Ron Paul said that 9-11 was a blowback. 9-11 was a blowback for the involvement of the United States in the Middle East. 
And Giuliani, who at the moment was the front runner for the nomination of the party, he he does is the usual thing like uh, Congress on the board. This is the same or something like that. Like he recalls Ron Paul to order. And Ron Paul, Ron Paul does not uh, apologize. He doubles down. And actually, there was also booing from, from the stands. Now, it's not up to me now to explain why the blowback theory is immoral and completely wrong. There is a strong criticism to be made for the foreign policy of the United States, including the Middle East, but not in the way that Ron Paul did this. But this is not something for now. What is interesting, though, is that this, sub, this moment that most people thought would be the end of his campaign was actually the thing that boosted his campaign more. Again, because people saw him as this outsider. So people were tired with the foreign policy of the United States. And here comes a man who explains what the problem is. Now, he gives a wrong explanation. But again, I want you to picture someone with the right ideas creating, again, such a big uh, controversy on the central states. So again, I think that uh, I think that this was something that could be successful also with someone who is closer to our point of view. Now, uh, and based on this boosting, his campaign not only gets momentum, but actually Ron Paul holds, or at least held before Trump. I'm not sure if Trump if Trump broke it. But on the Tea Party Day of 2007, he is the candidate that manages to get the highest amount of money from donations in one day. It was something like six millions. And again, from many small donors. So that was the interesting thing of the grassroots campaign. And what was the main, let's say, message of his campaign? His message was, I want to teach people about the fed and i want to teach people about the destructive role that government plays in uh, in politics so when we judge when we judge ron paul we need to ask ourselves did he achieve this in 2008 and 2012 yes he did create enthusiasm he did show that there was a space for an outsider but what my problem is that if this was a successful revolution Maybe they had lost, Paul had lost, and actually he did lose. He didn't win, obviously, the nomination in 2008 or 2012. But you could say that there was something there that then in the following years bloomed. But this was not the case. So I think what people found in Ron Paul was this populist message. And I'm not, I'm not using the term dismissively. I think Ron Paul would be would be okay with the term populism to use for his campaign. So they like this popular message. I don't know how many people took on board this idea to be skeptical of the government. How do we know this? See how some of the group that was close to Paul, some of the people actually that were close to Paul and some of the parts of the outsiders that were with Ron Paul, see how they were very comfortable with Donald Trump, for example, with Donald Trump's Republican Party. So I'm afraid that the actual message that Ron Paul wanted to pass did not reach the audience. And again, that's why when another outsider came in, who actually held some of the opposite positions from Ron Paul, 
in favor, for example, of more government intervention, breaking monopolies, whatever that means, most of the, of the outsiders uh, who were excited with both Paul and Trump didn't care about these economic principles that Ron Paul tried to teach. Now, another issue which I think Ron Paul actually became a bad influence, again, not the man himself maybe, but the whole narrative of his message, was this conspiratorial, almost alternative facts element. So Ron Paul was, he would appear in Alex Jones, for example, and when they'd ask him, why do you do that? You know, the guy is, uh, is saying things that are wrong. Then he said, well, also Fox News and CNN say bad things, but I still go there. Or, for example, his former chief of staff, Lou Rockwell, if you know anything about him, he has very weird views about 9-11. And, and so the problem is that when you are, let's say, an outsider, but not based on clear principles, but based on the idea that it's us versus them and them, they are, you know, they're lying. There's this deep state. This creates an attitude that it's very easy to lead to irrationalism. We've seen, for example, how the left has walked the, the walk towards irrationalism, but this was also the case with the right. Now you could say, what do you mean, Nico? Should we believe, uh, so for example, there's nothing weird with, I don't know, the deep state or the FBI, have they never lied in the past? Well, I'm not saying this. What I'm saying is that when this becomes the way you view the world through the prism of, oh, there's like inside jobs and conspiracies, then this is, you follow, you follow a route that is not very fruitful. So this was a bad influence of, uh, of the, the campaign. Now, what was the legacy of, uh, of Ron Paul? As I said, the Tea Party was definitely a legacy specifically of his first campaign. So Ron Paul gave the energy that that the Tea Party capitalized on it. That's why, for example, his son, Rand Paul, or people with, with similar messages were central to the Tea Party. But again, what happened to the Tea Party? See, for example, people like Ted Cruz or even his son, Rand Paul. You could say that they're some of the least bad people in Washington, but I would say that today they're ideologically in a worse place than they were in 2008 or 2012. So, again, obviously, that's not Ron Paul's fault. But, yeah, the revolution definitely sold out uh, when we see, for example, Ted Cruz uh, uh, wanting to interrogate big tech and, uh, and uh, other people from the Tea Party wanting to, to, to regulate social media and basically not understanding what freedom of speech is. Now, another interesting thing. What's his legacy on foreign policy? So I think that's somewhere where he has been a bit more successful. But again, this wasn't Ron Paul himself. There was, again, this tradition of the old right, or if you want to call it paleoconservatism, together with some people in the paleo-libertarian milieu. So Trump had this, we could say, almost instinct, because I don't think it was super conscious that, yeah, we shouldn't deal so much with, uh, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be the policeman of the world as uh, they would put it. Now, again, 
on a surface level, this can be good, but quite often this can be good for the wrong reason. So that's, uh, that requires a lot of discussion. But again, I think the isolationism of Ron Paul was not based on principles. It was mostly based on this idea, the government is bad, therefore the government should not do much also in foreign policy. And again, if this, if this stops destructive, useless wars, yeah, you could say it's like the wrong uh, clock that shows the right time twice every day. But then if you think about the blowback theory, you see that this can also lead to, to big, big, big mistakes. Now, another interesting thing you could say is uh, that, again, this whole skepticism of the Federal Reserve, of central banks around 2008, it gave a boost to things like Bitcoin, and many of the people who were around Ron Paul were some people who were big on Bitcoin and all that stuff. So at the very end of the day, at the very end of the day, was his campaign indeed an educational campaign that changed politics? I would say probably not. And again, this has to do with two things. One, some weaknesses in Ron Paul himself and be on what are the limits that a campaign can have. Having said that, having said that, I agree with one thing with, uh, with libertarians. We say that probably the two or three figures that have brought most people in, free, in ideas around freedom, it's obviously one is Ayn Rand through the novels, but somewhere there, there on the top three is also Ron Paul. So when you make a lot of, and this is not to say that the ideas of Ron Paul and Ayn Rand are similar, or I'm just using these terms now loosely. So people who had no idea that this general category of ideas existed, and they find out. So for example, when I transitioned from Marxism, my stepping stone before objectivism was libertarianism. So yeah, don't, don't uh, tell me how, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're not libertarians. Yeah, I know that. I'm just saying generally. So there is no question that that campaign drew a lot of people to these ideas. And there's no, there's no question that there are many people who, through Ron Paul, found, for example, Ludwig von Mises and his writings, found, for example, some good criticism around against central banking or against the role of government in the economy. They found, for example, Henry Hazlitt, they found economics in one lesson, or they found some uh, of the good uh, work that uh, Rothbard has done in economics, because in other areas, uh, I don't think you miss that much if you don't uh, if you don't do if you don't see his work. But whatever is good in all that milieu, a lot of people found it through Ron Paul. So in that way, it was successful. So to finish in the way I started. If someone charismatic, like, for example, I know, I, I haven't talked to him on that, just from the top of my head for, I know, for example, that Mark Pellegrino has done an attempt with a political party, I think it's called the Capitalist Party. So if you could think that we find ourselves in 2024, and the world is, uh, however, it's going to be in 2024, I don't want to think about it because uh, I'm not super optimistic about that. And the world needs some radical ideas. And the world needs something better than whatever the Republican Party is going to look then. And 
there will be this urge for answers and this urge for someone with principles. I believe as Nikos, not as Ayn Rand Center or as was whatever, as Nikos, I believe that this is something that could work. I would be very enthusiastic about it and I would be looking forward to see this happening and contribute to it. Now, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how 2024 is going to look like? But anyway, we've been going on for more than 20 minutes. This was my overview, let's say, of the Ron Paul revolution and their lessons that one can draw about a political campaign playing a big role in the culture. Now, let me finish on a different note. So yesterday was, in my view, one of the moments that the Iron Center UK should be really, really, really proud. The event celebrating Dr. Leonard Spikoff's 87th birthday. The event by itself would be such a great event, but then to top, like the, the to, to, to make it even more climactic, Dr. Peakoff made the, a guest star appearance. So I want to say I'm very proud for Iron Center UK. I'm very proud for Razi and the work he's doing. But, but that's not the only things we're doing. We're doing actually even more. So we're not saying, oh, yesterday was a peak. Now we're, let's relax. We're doing the opposite. So, for example, from tomorrow, what we have is a new discussion group based on uh, on some of of uh, Dr. Peakoff's uh, programs. Uh, sorry, series of lectures. So tomorrow we start with uh, the philosophy of uh, of uh, of objectivism. I think the the series that actually led to OPAR, although OPAR is the corrected version of that series. So we are doing the the series from the from the late seventies. It's only open to members, so it's one of the perks that members can get. But irrespective of the the series that is only for for members, we're doing we're gonna do more videos, more animation videos. You're gonna start seeing more programs, more and more programs. So all this requires the hard work of actually many people, not only Razi, which, whom I praise, or me, who you see on the camera. There are also people behind the scenes who are doing hard work. Now, to be part of this, to, of this uh, movement, so to speak, of these efforts, of this project, I would encourage you to go to ironrandcenter.co.uak slash membership and help Razi in the great work he's doing, help the Iron Center, and you will see better and better stuff coming soon. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's, uh, today's daily objective. More stuff coming next week. Till then, all the best. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye.